0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Numbers chapter 13 and pull out the notes you received when you came in. We're actually going to spend some time talking together as a faith family before we dive into the text. This morning marks an exciting morning for us as a community of faith, as a faith family, and really the beginning of an exciting month as. We talk about what God is doing among us, how last year we drastically cut our budget to free up resources for the glory of Christ amidst urgent spiritual and physical need in the world. And so what we're going to do this morning and in the next few weeks is talk about how we're going to spend those resources for the glory of Christ amidst urgent spiritual and physical need. In the world, we are in the middle of what we're calling the Radical Experiment. It's a reminder, a year-long journey during which we are giving ourselves to five commitments. One, to pray for the entire world. I want to remind, encourage you to be praying intentionally. We're walking through Operation World. You can link every day from the Radical Experiment website to Operation World. Daily prayer requests, weekly prayer. Focus as a faith family where we are praying literally for every country every nation, every people in the world during this year. Second, to read through the entire Word, which is what we're doing day by day as individuals, as families week by week, and as a faith family. And we come this morning to an extremely appropriate text where we find ourselves today. Third, to spend our time in another context. Reminded you last week, sign up for Global Trip. Be intentional now about planning for how you're going to go into another context this year with the gospel. Um, fourth, to commit our lives to a multiplying community. I hope, I hope you're involved in a small group. The key at Brook Hills is small groups. The reality is if, if we are not involved in small groups that are making disciples of all nations, we're missing the whole point. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in a small group, to get involved in a small group, to press on, persevere, You can go out in the lobby. You can go over here to the access corner after we finish today and find out more information about how to get plugged into a small group. Let me encourage you not to waver any longer on that. There's a lot of exciting things going on in small groups, even a couple weekends from now, we're having our first family disciple now, our parents and students, teenagers are doing disciple now together. So, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Let me encourage you to commit your life to a multiplying community. And then, f- fifth component, what I want us to talk more about today to sacrifice our money for a specific purpose. What we're saying is, as individuals and as a church, we want to take the resources God has given them to us and not use them for more comforts and more security and more stuff in this world. We I want to spend our resources for the glory of Christ. And so basically that's playing out in two ways. Pick up there in your notes. Two ways as individuals and families to free our resources to give to the church. Now this is the key. We want as a church to take what we have as a community of faith through our offering every week and spend it radically for urgent need. And so we voted last year to, to cut some of the things that are comforts and make things a little easier for us. We want to to minimize those things in order to free up as much as we can to give away. Now, we set our budget at a pretty high level, especially in light of our economic situation and our context, country, at this point. But we said, okay, well, if, if individuals and families across our faith family are making sacrifices in their own lives, then we can we can certainly make this budget. So to free up resources to give to the church, and then as the church, as a faith family, to spend our resources on urgent spiritual and physical need in the world. So we freed up about a million and a half to spend intentionally on urgent urgent physical and spiritual need in two primary places. Number one, locally in inner city Birmingham. Locally in inner city Birmingham, our zeal for God's glory in all nations starts right here in Birmingham. God has put us here. We spend most of our time here. We want His glory in Birmingham. Our passion for God's glory in all nations is not in any way at odds with our passion for His glory in Birmingham. They're both ends. We do not have to choose to love people here or there. We love people here and there. We want His glory here and there. It's a both end. We don't have to pick. And so we're saying we want His glory to be made known. Oswald Smith said, the light that shines the farthest, remember, shines the brightest Where? At home, so we want that to be a reality. So we're going to spend our lives for His glory here and there. So locally in inner city Birmingham, and then globally in India. So we're focusing this year, India, home to 41 percent of the world's poor in one country. In addition to physical need, the reality that there are more lost people, people without Christ, in India than any other country in the world. Many of them unreached with the gospel. For generations have never heard the gospel. Urgent spiritual and physical need. So what we're saying is, we believe the gospel and we believe a Savior who became poor, that we might become rich in Him. And so we are going to, Go against all the trends in contemporary church culture that say success is shown by spending more and more millions on yourselves in the church. And we're going to say it's not biblical. The reality is success in the church leads us to spend more and more millions on the glory and the gospel of Christ going to the ends of the earth. And so we want to put our focus there. In light of that, the radical experiment Budget 2010. Put the exact numbers in there. It's almost a million and a half. $1,491,645 that you, by God's grace, I praise God for His grace. And you have said, okay, we want to spend this for His glory amidst urgent spiritual and physical needs. So, over the last few months, the elders have commissioned two different teams one locally, one globally. Teams made up of staff, church members, and elders diving into how can we. How can we best spend these resources, this money, a million and a half, for his glory in inner city Birmingham and in India? And we've been praying, seeking the Lord through this, researching, going to different contexts in Birmingham and India, trying to figure out, okay, what is, how can this best look? And we've kind of finalized... Those teams put together proposals. We went back and forth, finalized, okay, here's how we can spend this. And so what I want to show you this morning, and then us to unpack over this month, locally, how we're going to spend $384,364. $384,364. And we're going to talk about this morning and next week in particular in incredible ways that we can use that in Inner City Birmingham. And then globally, a million, $107,281. So one. Coming 107, coming 281, and we're going to spend the second part of this month, March 21st and 28th, talking about how that can be spent. This is this is too good. Like this is really exciting to think about what we have the privilege of being a part of this year. Now, the local radical experiment. We sat back and asked, okay, urgent spiritual and physical need in Birmingham, and we began to say where where. Is there a concentration of urgent spiritual and physical need in Birmingham? And where are we already involved in ministry? We don't have to create something altogether. The reality is God has been leading small groups across this faith family into certain areas. And so what we saw was there was a concentration of both urgent spiritual and physical need and small groups already involved in ministry in one particular area. Now I want to be really, really careful here because I don't want to imply that this is the only area where Brook Hills is going to do ministry. And if you don't do ministry here, then you just don't count. Or that if your small group is not involved somewhere else, the reality is there are small groups doing Hispanic ministry in all kinds of different communities around Birmingham. There are small groups doing all kinds of different things in different parts of downtown Birmingham in context right around here. And my encouragement is to continue to do exactly that. So it's great. And I don't want us to think because we're we're focusing in on one area, that means we just don't care about other areas. You know, when we talk about, we we want to go to the nations, people say, well, you don't care about Birmingham. So you pick one place in Birmingham, people say, we well, you don't care about other places in Birmingham. Well, here's, th- what we're saying is, we want to be involved in ministry wherever the Lord leads. At the same time, we want to be careful not to scatter our resources in such a way that we don't make concentrated, long-term impact that, that, that multiplies the gospel from a particular place. And so what we're saying is, as we're doing ministry in all kinds of different places, we're going to put some focus this year in this one place. And really, it's, it's two places, East Lake and Gate City. I want to show you this video, and then I want us to talk about this and what, what this might look like. So watch this video with me. Here's the picture, Gate City for a long time has been one of the uh, highest crime, lowest income areas of, of Birmingham. Just to give you a picture, Gate City and Eastlake and schools in these two areas, over 90% of the children are on federal subsidized lunch program and even as a side note, uh, Gate City City Elementary School ranks 677th out of approximately 700 Alabama public schools. And so you've got Gate City right next to it, Eastlake, which is where so many of our small groups God has led to be involved in ministry. And with a variety of different organizations and even churches down there. There are people all across this room who this week will be at the Love Lady Center, which is the largest transitional facility in the entire country for ladies that are coming out of prison or homelessness or abuse or addictions. And so there are all kinds of ways we're already involved there. And then what's interesting is right next door in Gate City, the public housing there is only about 20 or 30% full because they're doing renovations. Which means in the days to come that community is going to be growing as more people are moving in. And so as we prayed, sought the Lord, it seemed like this was the best place to begin to focus our attention, concentrate, ministry. Now, I want to be very, 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 very careful here. I want to guard us against an extremely dangerous mentality. And that mentality is the idea that we are going, in, going to go into a community as saviors from over the mountain to help out these needs. The reality is we are not saviors coming in from the mountain. We are sinners who are desperately in need of God's grace. We are sinners who have bought into the idea that money satisfies when it doesn't and we have covered up our sin with our stuff and so we're not coming in as saviors but sinners who want to show the love of Christ and learn about the love of Christ from some incredible men and women and children in a community that for years There has been barriers between us going into communities like this. And so, what I want to do is I want to introduce you to one portrait of an amazing family that uh, represents, in some ways, Gate City. So watch this with me.
1: My name is Cheryl. I grew up in a large family, five brothers and five sisters. We lived in Smithfield, Alabama, just east of Inslee. I didn't get everything I may have wanted as a child, but my mother always saw to it that we had clothes on our backs and food in our bellies, and that all 11 children graduated high school. When I was 18, I got married and followed my husband's military career, several years from North Carolina to Germany and eventually back to Georgia. But after returning to the States my marriage began to fall apart. I never thought I would get a divorce and to this day it is something I deeply regret. About that time I found out some devastating news from one of my sisters in Birmingham. My niece had just lost custody of her children. The little girl was 19 months old and the boy was three and a half. I didn't have any children of my own, so I began considering and exploring the possibilities of getting custody of the children. So, I packed up, moved to Gardendale, got a job at Kmart, rented a house from a friend, and got custody of my niece's children. However, the journey didn't end there. After three years in Gardendale, my friend decided to sell the house we were renting leaving us with no place to live and an income that was unfortunately not very substantial. That is when I began considering Mark's Village. At first, I was worried about the neighborhood and what my children might be exposed to, but I was encouraged to talk with one of the directors of the housing project who told me that some of the best young men and women she knew had grown up in Mark's Village. As I began making this decision, I remembered my mother's words. A person can live anywhere. It doesn't matter what's on the outside because the outside has nothing to do with the inside. So, I decided I would give Mark's Village a chance. I was going to embrace the community, and it wasn't long before I found myself serving and loving the people in Gate City. After school, I would pick up my kids as well as their friends, welcoming them into my home, teaching them, feeding them, loving them. Through life's joys and difficulties, God has taught me to praise Him when things are going good or when things are going bad. I know that no matter what, God is in control and working all things together for my good as I live out my life in love for God because I have been called according to His purpose.
0: So, how can we as a faith family do ministry in East Lake and Gate City? Here's the plan. First and foremost, as a church, we want to be followers of Christ, living out the gospel in the context of a community of faith. And here's what I mean by that specifically. And here's where I want to dive right off into the deep end. I want to challenge every single follower of Christ in this room, including every single member of this church, to pray and to ask God if he would have you move into east lake or gate city i want to challenge every single member of this church this week to pray god do you want me do you want us to move to East Lake Gate City. This is something we all can and should do. If our lives belong to Christ, if they are His to spend however He deems best, then that means there's a blank check before God in our lives. And so every single one of us needs to pray and ask God. Husbands, dads, I want to challenge you to take the lead on this. Men, you, you lead your family this week to ask God daily, do you want us to do this? If you're a single mom, a single adult, if you're a college student, I want to encourage you to ask God if he wants you to go. The, the picture here is not we're going to come up with some projects that we can do. The picture first and foremost is if we want the gospel to be made known then we must live out the gospel. Can't come and go make a long-term impact with the gospel. And so I want to challenge you to pray, to put a blank check on the table and ask God if that's something he wants you to do. I remember when I moved down to New Orleans and uh, I was all excited about inner city ministry and I was sitting in a restaurant one day and I saw a guy over across the other side of the restaurant who was a legend when it comes to inner city ministry. And and he had started a ministry in New Orleans that was extremely fruitful, right in one of the toughest parts of New Orleans. And so I, as an eager seminary student, went up to him and just said, "Hey, can you? I want to have an impact on the inner city of New Orleans. How can I do that?" He said, "You really want to have an impact?" I said, "Well, yes, sir." He said, "Well, take your family." pack your bags and move into the inner city and live in the housing project for the next 20 years and you can have an impact. I said, okay. <laughs> and it's the picture. So it was the picture in that ministry. It's the picture in people even in this room here in Birmingham who have moved down Restoration Academy. This is a picture that we've seen there and it, it is primarily the picture that we want to be a part of. And so, I want to encourage you to pray this week and ask God if that's something He wants you to do. And I want to show you a picture of a brother who has done that and who has lived out the gospel in the context of East Lake Gate
2: City and hear a little bit of his story. Watch this with me. My name is David. In 1990, I was living in the East Lake area with my wife and four daughters. My family and I had joined a church near Gate City and soon after began teaching a junior high class. We saw a tremendous void in many of the teenage boys' lives for male role models. The church eventually closed its doors due to lack of financial support, but the work God had begun in our hearts continued to grow. Sensing a need to walk more closely with those in the community, our family moved into the neighborhood in 1993. It was interesting. In our previous neighborhood, rarely did we even speak to our neighbors. However, when we moved to Eastlake, God provided numerous opportunities for us to become established within our new community. As relationships grew, it became clear that God was calling me to invest my life in even deeper ways into young men. This meant helping high school dropouts get their GED and find a job, and hiring young men to work for me. It meant taking the time to teach a boy how to drive a car so he could go get a driver's license, and then helping him to buy the car, and then showing him how to work on the car when it broke down. Ultimately, it meant celebrating with them in their successes, comforting them in their struggles, and correcting them when they needed it. I'm often asked, how do you reach the bad ones? And I always say, you deal with them. You take them to camp. You talk to them. You pray with them and invest the gospel in them. And when they see you caring about their families, their siblings, their cousins, eventually they begin to respect you because you are sharing life with them. I like the way the Message Bible interprets John 1.14 when it says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I'm excited to see what God is planning to do in the Woodlawn and Eastlake areas. I am encouraged to see the church rise up as we join together to spread the gospel in Birmingham as it is my desire to multiply my life. The goal is to equip other leaders who can make an impact on our city. You know, it's cool to see a young boy who had no father and no direction grow up and 10 or 15 years later become a man who has a relationship with Christ. And now he is loving his wife and leading his family He's buying his first home, and he's raising up his children to worship God. I have experienced the grace of God and seen him transform people's lives in such a way that only he can get the glory. When that happens, I realize this isn't just my story anymore. It's God's story. So that's the challenge.
0: It's to pray. Don't pray and, and give God the answer. I know that immediately we think of all the reasons why. Okay, well, I, I know it's not me, Because well, praying, you praying. You hear what God says. One of our staff members, Bindaloch and his wife Kylie and their kids, are committed to taking the point, the lead on this. You'll hear more from him next week, but they are moving into East Lake Gate City. And the picture here, followers of Christ living out the gospel in the context of a community of faith. And, and that's really intentional. Like we're, we're not saying, okay, we're going to go in and start a church and build a building and show DVDs of David every week. No, we want to go in and live out the gospel in the context of a community of faith. So, God will lead I'm confident, some many of us. Probably not all of us. It'd be kind of weird if he did, but change things around here for sure. But just because God may not lead you to take that step does not mean that there are not other avenues to be involved. Church members serving selflessly and Continually, as individuals, families, and small groups, again, not going in as saviors, but as servants. We want to come alongside people in East Lake Gate City, laying down our lives. S- Keywords, selflessly, this is not about what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. No, it's not about us at all. And continually, this is not about going in, doing a one-time project, patting ourselves on the back, and moving on. That is Easy. It's about continually, intentionally, even when it's tough, pressing in and making long-term investment. We were meeting with one uh, official from public housing in Gate City. And for the first hour, he tried to talk us out of coming down there. Because he wanted, us, wanted to see if we were serious about this. Church members living selflessly and continually, even when it gets difficult. Well, we do partnerships with organizations, schools, churches. We've already begun meeting with different schools to find out ways we can serve there. As I mentioned, we're already partnering together with a variety of different ministry organizations as well as churches there. So coming alongside, ministry to orphans and widows, James chapter 1, verse 27. Now, this whole picture of radical experiment really includes all that we're doing when it comes to foster care and adoption. And just as a side note, let me encourage you to be praying. Um, there are families across this room who have been through training, some going through training right now, some have finished training, gotten everything, all the boxes checked off, and, and children are now coming into their homes from a variety of different situations and a variety of different really tough situations in our city. And this is this is where the gospel becomes real and comes alive, not in a sermon or an informational meeting, but as as the challenges that are associated with this whole picture come along. And so let me encourage you to be praying for and supportive of all the different families that are walking through this whole picture. What we found, though, is when we looked at East Lake Gate City and these communities, interestingly, orphans and widows are oftentimes in the same home. And the reality is 62% of children in, in these areas live with their grandparents, without mom or dad. 62%. And then... Many times grandparents is really grandparent, it's usually a grandmother and so oftentimes you have orphans and widows in the same picture and as you can imagine all kinds of different challenges and needs that accompany that and so there's all kinds of opportunity for James 1.27 kind of ministry. And then finally, outreach initiative focused on needs in the community. Possibilities here are endless. Sports, basketball leagues, health classes, job training, seminars, tutoring, innumerable types of ministry that can be platforms for the gospel. So here's the deal. Now this is on the back, but I want to encourage you to write it down. Just to kind of etch it in your mind, okay? March 28th and 31st. Sunday night, March 28th. Wednesday night, March 31st. These are two... Orientation sessions that want to encourage you. Now it's the same session both nights. You don't have to go to both, one or the other. Sunday night six, Wednesday night six thirty. But an orientation to opportunities to be involved in ministry in East Lake Gate City and not just opportunities to be involved, practical how to, but also training on. Ways you can do ministry, inner city ministry effectively and ways to do inner, ministry, inner city ministry not so effectively. We want to be wise in the way we do ministry. And so let me encourage you, if the Lord gives you any inkling that He is leading you to move into this area, you want to find out more information, let me encourage you to be at one of those meetings. Or any small group that wants to be involved in ministry in these areas, let me encourage you to at least have a representative, whether a leader or somebody else, somebody there representing your small group, one of those orientations. Wednesday night or Sunday night? March 28th, Sunday, March 31st, Wednesday night. That's where kind of all this is headed toward. Now you're going to hear more next week about some of these practical things, but I want to go ahead and put that before you put that on your calendar. So with all that lead up, it is no coincidence that we find ourselves this morning at Numbers 13 and 14. As the people of God stand on the brink of the the land before them. Now, obviously we don't, we're not going to have a lot of time to dive into this text. So real briefly, we're not even going to be able to read most of the text. But I just want us to see what God is doing in us as a faith family. And I want us to see a portrait of God's people on the brink of the promised land in Numbers 13 and 14. And I want us to see how in fear they turned back from what God had called them to. And I want us to see it because I know there is a dangerous temptation for us as a church and individuals and families around this church to see what God is doing in our faith family and leading us to and in fear to turn around. And I want us, instead of being fearful, I want to urge us to be faithful and to step forward. Now, here in Numbers 13, I'm going to have to fly through this. Go to Numbers 14, and I want us to see portrait of the fearful, portrait of the faithful. And I want, to, I want you to see people's response. you remember the lead up here? Numbers 13 just opens with anticipation. The people of God have been delivered from slavery. We've got the numbers of all these, all the people, all the Israelites, all the soldiers that are ready to take the land. And they've got the law from Leviticus, and so there they are on the brink of the promised land, and they send in Spies to check out this land that is abundant, flowing with milk and honey. Just prosperous land. And the spies come back. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, great names, by the way. Caleb and Joshua say, let's take the land, the faithful. But then ten spies rise up and say, no, we can't take it. Fearful. And listen to how the people respond. Numbers 14, verse 1. All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? To fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They didn't believe God. And unbelief always breeds fear. Don't miss it. Fear in our lives is always grounded in unbelief. They disregarded the goodness of God. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. What? In an instant, the people of God have forgotten the grace of God. He had delivered them from slavery, Hundreds of years of slavery. And they stand on the brink of a good land, an exceedingly good land before them. And they conclude, God has not been good to us. We wish we were still slaves in Egypt. Now we must be very careful, brothers and sisters, not to be too hard on the Israelites. We must be very careful to see our own sinful hearts in the Israelites because anytime, anytime we are returned to sin in our lives, we are doing the same thing. Going back to that which we've been delivered from and and how easy it is to get to a tough situation or a tough circumstance or a tough decision And all of a sudden, to forget the grace of God that brought you there and the grace of God that will lead you from there. They disregarded the goodness of God. They doubted the greatness of God. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They think Yahweh has brought them there to die. They look around as if they had forgotten the sea that was split in half, as if they had forgotten plague after plague after plague that miraculously showed the power of God that had brought them to this place. And now they go into the land. And it says at the end of chapter 13, verse 32, the land through which we have gone to spy out is the land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. They see the Nephilim, descendants of Anak, this picture of, they were known as a large people, Goliath-type people, but the reality is they were much smaller in number that's implied here. It's not that Goliath was walking around everywhere in the land of Canaan, but here's what they did. They magnified potential problems. They took this one picture, and they blew it up and said, the whole land is like this. We're grasshoppers in comparison. It's exactly what we do whenever we face a difficult situation or circumstance, and we see it and we focus on it so much that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and we magnify the problems before us. And in the process, they minimize powerful promises from God. We do the same thing. We see the problems in front of us. And we miss out on the greatness of God that trumps them all. Hey, there's so much here. All right, we don't have time to turn there, so write this down. You look in chapter 13, verse 22. What you'll find is when the spies went in the land, they went to a place called Hebron. Hebron. You can see the whole land from there, Hebron. Now, do you remember Hebron? just in case you don't, write down Genesis chapter 13. Because when God brought Abraham into the land that he would show him and Abraham settled there and Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot split up ways and Abraham settles. You'll never guess where. Hebron. And so he settles in Hebron. And that's where God promises him two chapters later, Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to take you, my people, my people will be slaves in a foreign land, sojourners there for 400 years, and then I want to bring you back to this land. And so this is where Abraham was settling down. Where were Sarah and Abraham buried? Anybody got a guess? Hebron, Isaac, and Rebekah. Hebron buried there. Jacob, Leah, Israel buried there. That's That's where God had said, this is my land. This is a land for my people. And so the The spies come up into Hebron. You'd think at this moment they would be overwhelmed with the faithfulness and the greatness of God. God has done exactly what he said. He's got an army of 600,000 men waiting to take the land he has promised to bring them. He has done exactly what he said. You'd think you'd see them on their faces worshiping. Instead, they're saying, look how big those guys are. Oh, And they were so focused on the danger or the problem or the obstacle in their way that they lost sight of and minimized the greatness of their God. They come back and they give this report. And as a result, they disobeyed the word of God. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They turn around in disobedience and as a result they disqualified themselves from the blessing of God. They flinched in the face of fear, and they missed it. You look at the end of chapter 14, verse 32 or sorry, verse 35. It's one of oh, it's one of the most humbling verses when you think about it. This is God speaking to his people. He says to them, I the Lord have spoken Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end and there they shall die. An entire generation, 10 spies die almost immediately and then every single person in that generation will die in the wilderness. They missed it and They try to overcome it. They say, well, let's go fight. And they try and they're struck down there. Don't, Don't miss this. When God is for you, nothing can stop you. But when God is against you, you have no hope. You don't want God. Against you. And this is the humbling picture we see. It's the portrait of the fearful. Joshua and Caleb rise up and speak. Look at chapter 14, verse 7. It's one of those epic speeches. You can imagine before the people, they said, All the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out, is an exceedingly good land. They believed the goodness of God. They said this is a good land. God has made it good. Why? He's made it good, prosperous for us. This is evidence of his grace. He's brought us to this point by his grace. They believed his goodness. They trusted the greatness of God. Verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. He will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. He's going to give it to us. He says, do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Don't miss it. Joshua and Caleb are not saying, guys, this is a piece of cake. They're not saying, no, you missed it. Those guys are really smaller than you thought. Instead, what Joshua and Caleb are saying is that, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are obstacles. Yes, it is. they're big. But God is Bigger. Where others saw an obstacle, they saw an opportunity. Were there obstacles? No question. But this is the picture God brings his people to over and over and over again throughout history. He puts his people in places where they are dependent on him and his power and his strength and his glory to come through. And Joshua and Caleb believe that. And they know this is an opportunity for God to show his greatness. You know, one place I want to take us. We don't have time to go there? Write it down. Joshua chapter 15, verse 13. I'm going to read it to you. Joshua chapter 15, verse 13. When they do take the land, listen to Caleb come in here. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah. Guess what portion Caleb got? Hebron. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. Caleb took them down. Because he was stronger and bigger and better. No, because he believed God and he didn't doubt the greatness of God. That's why. While others worried about man's power, they were confident in God's presence. The Lord is with us. You don't need to fear. Brothers and sisters, when God is with you, you'd never have a reason to fear. Never. Never. They believed his goodness and trusted his greatness. So they obeyed the word of God. They stood up to the people. And it almost cost them their lives this epic speech while they're saying it people are picking up stones and just before they're about to be stoned the glory of the Lord shines on behalf of his servants they obeyed the Word of God and as a result they would experience the blessing of God Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who would go into that land Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim would become dominant in the northern part of the Promised Land. Caleb from the tribe of Judah would become dominant in the southern part of the Promised Land. And these men would experience the abundant blessing of God. What what about us? Who, who Who do you think Numbers was written for? The reality is, It was written for the sons and daughters of those who stood at the promised land and turned back, who would go into the land to remind them, to remind them of God's faithfulness and to remind them, to warn them not to sit back in fearfulness. In fact, it was a reminder to the people of God all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. You see the Psalms and the prophets make reference to what happened at Kadesh Barnea. You get to the New Testament and you see Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 saying this story is a warning to us. is a reminder to us. We as the people of God are intended to learn from the people of God at Kadesh Barnea. And so the questions for us, first and foremost, on an individual level, and this is what Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 are all about. Will we turn from God and trust in ourselves? I'm not even talking here about going into the inner city. I'm talking about our lives, I'm talking about every detail in our lives. Will we turn? from God and trust in ourselves or will we turn to God and trust in Christ? That's the picture when you get to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. It's speaking and I would say to people across this room who are not trusting in Christ with all of your heart, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you have lived your life trusting in yourself and you've never come to the point in your life where you have trusted in Christ to save you from your sins. Through what he did on the cross that we've sung about today, to save you from your sins, to change you from the inside out. You've never received the salvation he alone can give. you said, I'm going to do it myself. I want to. I urge you, if you've never trusted in Christ, to today to turn from your sin and turn from yourself and trust in God through Christ. And followers of Christ all around this room who know that gospel, if you are facing a situation, a circumstance, a decision, whatever it may be in your life this morning, I want to urge you no matter how difficult it gets, do not disregard the goodness of God. He is gracious. He has brought you to where you are by His grace and He will lead you from where you are by His grace. And do not doubt His greatness. There is, there is nothing you need to fear. Nothing. I would encourage you Fear unbelief. Fear not trusting God. And run from that and know that even the obstacle that is greatest before you is an opportunity for you to know God deeper and to glorify His name and to see His name glorified on your behalf. You have the presence of God with you. To so obey Him, walk with Him into whatever He has put before you. And in the process, not saying it will be easy, but it will involve blessing. The very blessing of God Himself. Will we turn from God and trust in ourselves or will we turn to God and trust in Christ? And then... To this church for us as your pastor. God has, by his grace in this church, brought us to this place. So, will we sit back in fear of the world? Will we flinch as we hold on to our stuff and our safety and our security in this zip code? Or will we step forward with faith in the Word? Don't miss it. God never promised that taking the land of Canaan would be easy, and He did not promise that it would not be costly. But He did promise He would give it to them, and He would give it to them in a way that would be for their good and His glory. I'm not saying that as we Walk this road ahead, whether it's in any city city Birmingham or anywhere else in the world, that things are going to get easier or more comfortable. They will get harder and less comfortable. One preacher said about this text, Christ wants a fearless people. Christ wants a people who live in the most dangerous neighborhoods without fear, who go to the unreached peoples behind closed doors without fear, who speak to neighbors about Christ without fear. How? By faith in his promises. Listen to this. Faith in the promises of God makes you fearless before the threats of men. Faith in the promises of God makes you fearless before the threats of men. Will we sit back in fear or will we step forward in faith? Church at Brook Hills with a vision for living out the gospel in inner city Birmingham. Will we waste our lives in routine religion? Will we rest content to sit back as haves in a city of haves and have-nots? Or will we spend our lives in radical devotion?
2: This is the question before us.